0: Please take your Bible and turn to Ephesians 6, and we'll continue to consider uh, this passage uh, regarding the armor of God, and we'll read verses 10 through 18 as we begin. let's once again look to God in prayer and ask for his help as we come to the ministry of the Word of God this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Word of God. And we thank you that the Word is itself an armory, as we sang, where we can find all the weapons we need. And we thank you that this armor is laid out for us here in Ephesians chapter 6. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from this passage and empower us by your word and spirit so that we will lay hold of this armor, that we will understand how to put it on, how to use it, and how great it is for this greatest of all battles in which we as your people are involved come and help us For we ask these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Last week I began a series of messages on the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to continue that today and probably for several weeks here. Um, But as I said, I don't want to do it for too many weeks. So we can get back to Romans and someday even get to Romans 8. Verse 1. I mentioned last time from Pastor Common, Pastor, Common, Pastor Kahn's sermon, trying to blend two words there, on the Sunday evening before the basketball camp, he had preached verses 10 through 13 of this passage. And I'll just remind you of his three headings, The Call to Battle, We're in a War, The enemy exposed, that would be the devil, and his hosts or armies of spiritual powers, demons. And then thirdly, the victory assured. If you use the armor, you will triumph. You will be able to withstand the devil and all his fiery darts, and you will be able to stand in the end. And then I began last Sunday morning with simply the admonition to stand. Someone mentioned to me that I had only made it through two words, stand therefore in my first message. So it didn't look so hopeful about keeping it to 10 messages or fewer. But that's as far as we got in the morning. We are to stand ground. We are to resist the devil, as James says, and he will flee from you. And I noted that most of the armor that we have here is defensive. There is the sword, of course, but I use the illustration of that Old Testament mighty man in 1 Samuel 23, Shammah, the son of AG, the Herorite, how he stood to defend one field of lentils against the Philistines. And in that battle, he did stand his ground. And in the process, he slew I think it was 800 Philistines. So he was a good model for us about standing and resisting and fighting. Then in the, e- in the evening last week, we came to what I called the panoply or the complete armor. Panoply is just the transliteration of the Greek word that we have here for the armor. And we started to work our way then through verses 14 and following noticing the individual pieces of armor so we began to cover four items at once and that's what i want to finish this morning because i only made it through the first three they are the belt the breastplate the shoes and the helmet we have those in verses 14 and 15 in the beginning of verse 17 so let me just read that text or those verses Stand therefore, Paul says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So there we have the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes. That's what we covered last week. And I said that they are grouped together, and I'll say more about that in a moment. And then jump to verse 17, the first part of the verse and take the helmet of salvation. I I grouped these things together, and I put them all first under this one heading because there's an important emphasis, and I made it last week, that we should not miss. There is overlap of these four pieces of armor, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, And the helmet, and I'll emphasize it here as we go, and I'll uh, repeat the significance of those first three, albeit briefly, as we move along. But another reason I put them first, and I pointed this out last week, is because each one of these pieces of armor represents what we could say is a fundamental, comprehensive, key gospel topic or theme or idea, particularly as they relate to the subject of our salvation. You have the belt of the truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shoes of the preparation of the gospel. And then you have what we're going to focus on today, the helmet of salvation. So the gospel itself, the truth of God, the righteousness of God, and then the salvation of God. These are huge, comprehensive topics. There's a sense in which you could use any one of those things to refer to the entirety of the teaching of the Bible. And I'll add to what I said last week this. There's a sense in which these items represent, or we could say these items of our armor the gospel, the truth, righteousness, and salvation, they are such massive and foundational gospel realities that it's easy to see how this passage could really be looked at as a comprehensive summary of Christian living. In other words, the passage is looking at the entirety of the Christian life, and it's looking at it from one perspective, that the entire Christian life is a battle. It's warfare, and it's warfare against spiritual powers of darkness. And it's especially looking at it in that way in terms of the way that the gospel practically applies to the life of the Christian. So it's no surprise then that in the book that I recommended last week, William Gurnall, The Puritans, Um, treatise on the Christian in complete armor, it's no surprise then that he wrote that treatise of 1,200 pages, because that's what he was doing. He was taking this passage and looking at it as a comprehensive summary of the way that we should live the Christian life. There's a sense in which it's like the Ten Commandments in terms of they're very brief to read through, but they represent everything you know, you need to know about how to obey God. Or if you read the very brief prayer that the Lord Jesus gave us, that we call the Lord's Prayer, it's not very long to read, but it encompasses everything that we need to pray for or pray about. Well, this passage is like that, looking at the Christian life from this narrow perspective as a battle and then additionally let me say before we uh, just briefly review what we've already seen last week and then jump into the helmet of salvation additionally we can say this there is definitely a lot for us to do in living the christian life and looking at it from the standpoint of this passage fighting the warfare that god has placed us in there's a lot for us to do just start uh, with it this way we are to put on the whole armor of god we are to take up the whole armor of god we are to stand we are to take the shield etc all right there's a lot for us to do and then we are to wield that sword we are to get ourselves to fighting like shama the herorite But here in these first four elements, and this is why I grouped them together this way, the emphasis is more on simply knowing and understanding things about the gospel and the truth of God and the salvation with which God has saved us. There's more of an emphasis on knowing than on doing. As someone commented to me last week, or maybe he made the point and then I uh, used this common phrase Knowledge is power, as we say. We are to understand what the Bible teaches about these great topics, and then we are to be convinced of the truth of them, and then we go forward, whatever we do, and we live in the light of those great realities. We live in the light of what we know. And then I also mentioned last week, as I began with these four uh, pieces of armor, the gospel, the truth, righteousness, and salvation, or the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, and the helmet, I made one observation about the way they practically apply to our lives, and that is they give us great confidence. We are to be confident in our armor, and then if we have our armor strapped on the way we should, that confidence will help us to weather the devil's constant assaults. They come to us on a day-to-day basis. We are constantly facing what our text calls the fiery darts of the evil one. So let me review somewhat briefly what we saw with those first three pieces of armor. Then we'll look at the helmet of salvation. We won't take all that much time on it. And then I'll just give some exhortations and observations for us as we think through these great pieces of armor that God has given to us as Christians. First of all, the belt of truth in review. It says in verse 14 that we are to have our waist girded with truth. As I said, truth is one of these great subjects, topics in the gospel. It's a comprehensive idea. Whether we could say it represents God himself, all of the truth of God, everything in the world that is true as opposed to false, it represents the truth of the word of God. Note that truth, as we think of the battle against the wicked one, is especially opposed to whatever the devil throws at us. For he is what? A liar, Jesus said, and the father of lies, John 8. 44. Lying is his MO, his mode of operation. Uh, Think of Genesis chapter 3. That's how he first appears in the Bible, as a liar, putting the question in Eve's head, has God really said? In other words, he's all about leading people to question the Word of God. So, Truth, there's that comprehensive idea, and it's represented by a belt. It doesn't use the noun belt, but it uses the, the verb um, "gird yourself." You are to be girded in uh, um, around your waist with truth. So it's a belt of truth. The belt as I pointed out, is significant in regard to other armor, other weaponry. The sword hangs on it. Perhaps the breastplate is in part attached with the belt or by the belt. Uh, and it suggests overall readiness and ability to fight, especially to move freely and skillfully. The idea is, as I said here last week, is that not only do you have these things, but you strap them on firmly, tightly, And the idea is, in part at least, that because you know the truth, you are all in. You're all into the fight, and you're ready to run into battle, so that you will be able to withstand the fire, and having done all, to stand. And then there's the breastplate of righteousness. And this, again, is an objective thing, especially, in other words, something that christ has done for us i think that's the main idea in the breastplate of righteousness i don't think it's the entire idea i'll say something about that i think um in my next message but i'm not exactly sure about that at this second but i think i am somewhat sure and that is i'll say a little bit more about the breastplate of righteousness but as i said the main point is this It's talking about Christ's imputed righteousness. In other words, he has it, and he earned it for us, and in the gospel of grace, it is freely given to God's people. And think especially of the darts that Satan flings at God's people, the darts that challenge your profession of faith in Christ. You are a real child of God, You're a true Christian, but things happen in your life. Things trouble you. Maybe it's your own failure to live as a Christian should live. In other words, as you ought to live. And the devil takes those realities and he starts firing darts at you. Yeah, it's great to be a Christian. Too bad you're not one. You call yourself a Christian, but look how you live. Those are fiery darts of the evil one. And it's the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you use to help to um, keep those fiery darts from penetrating your flesh and especially reaching your vital organs, if you will. I'll read from Revelation 12, a text that I I think I at least quoted last week. If I didn't, I'm quoting it today. Revelation 10, excuse me, 12 in verse 10. Here's part of John's vision. And he says in Revelation 12:10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, that's the devil, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So that's a picture of what will happen in the last day. There will be an utter end of the fiery darts of the wicked one. There will be a complete end of his accusing the brethren. That will come on the last day when the devil is no more. Because he will have been cast into the lake of fire where he will spend eternity. But in the meantime, we have among all the other armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, Satan, what you say about me is true. But I have here a breastplate because I, as a child of God, though I'm an unworthy sinner, am clothed with the very righteousness of jesus christ amen is right and then the third thing is the preparation of the gospel of peace the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace i have um lumped it in with these other pieces of armor these four things because i think it it belongs there it's another it's another great topic regarding salvation it's the gospel The gospel of peace someone asked me about the word preparation you didn't really focus that much on the word preparation since i just really focused on the gospel and i did it on purpose and i answered i think i did anyway that there's also the element of readiness preparation that i will get to in a later message god willing that'll be the focus of one of the messages i think i could add to what i said there it likely also points to the preaching of the gospel. I'll just mention that now. I won't demonstrate it, but I think I may have a separate message on that. That's not even something that I um, treated in the basketball camp. But I did last week on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. I did focus on the gospel as one of those foundational and comprehensive topics related to, to our salvation and notice how it states it here in ephesians 6 it uses language that reminds us or at least it reminded me of romans 5 which i've really been which i have been preaching through recently the gospel of peace and the point made in romans 5 is that Belief in the gospel brings us into a relationship of peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You believe the gospel, you have peace with God. I think that's one of the reasons, at least, Paul uses this language, the gospel of peace. And so, because we have peace with God... What does that enable us to do? Well, it enables us to rejoice. It enables us, like Paul, to engage in um, exultation, in the fact that we know God and we belong to God. We exult in it. Or, to use the language we saw in 2 Corinthians 11, we boast in it. That's all, those are all legitimate translations of that word we find in Romans 5. It's all about the peace that we're boasting about that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that, as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, we are able, because of this peace that comes through belief in the gospel, to rejoice even in the midst of our greatest trials in life. Let me just read portions of Romans 5, 1 through 3. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And I think that's really a lot of what's in view when we think about the Christian armor. You're going through life. You're facing trials. You're facing the fiery darts of the wicked one. You're facing the lies of the devil and of his henchmen, all the demons and the people, the unbelievers of this world constantly throwing lies at you. It's difficult. It's discouraging. But you have the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And because of that, you rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that even as you go through your worst tribulations, therefore, you can still rejoice and glory in hope. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Today, therefore, we come to the fourth item. And that is the helmet of salvation. Verse 17 A, the beginning of the verse, and take the helmet of salvation. This is the fourth of these pieces of armor that I grouped together because I think they fit together for the reasons I've said. And so let's consider, first of all, as we think of this helmet of salvation, the spiritual reality that it's talking about, and then the metaphor for this piece of armor, and that would be the helmet. So Salvation is the spiritual reality, and the metaphor is the helmet. First, the spiritual reality that's in view is salvation. The helmet of salvation. Look at um, Hebrews chapter 2 with me. No, I'm sorry. Well, let let me figure this out. No, when I just said. Chapter, I have in my notes chapter 2, and it's chapter 2 of Ephesians. That's why I didn't have a book in front of it. <clears throat> but I knew later I was going to be turning to Hebrews chapter 2. So let's start out with Ephesians 2.1. As we think of this idea of salvation, we get a good summary of what it means here. A number of elements of it. Paul starts out in Ephesians 2, 1, And you, that is you Christians to whom he's writing, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, if you're a believer in Christ, you didn't come into the world as a believer. You didn't come into the world as a lover of God, as a righteous person. You came in dead in trespasses and sins. You did. I did. Everyone who has come into this world since the creation of Adam and Eve, except for Jesus Christ himself, came into this world dead in trespasses and sins. Let's jump down to verse 4 as we think of this salvation that Paul is talking about, the helmet of salvation. Here's the salvation. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's our salvation. Or if we think of it in terms of the book of Romans that we've been working through, especially those first few chapters, chapters 3 through 5, where we are right now, It's all about justification. We've had our sins washed away. That's the great salvation. We have peace with God. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the salvation that Paul is talking about here. Uh, And in keeping with um, my observation that these are great comprehensive themes, salvation certainly is, let's just jump over to the book of Hebrews for a moment and read Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Because the writer to the Hebrews, whether it is uh, someone other than Paul or whether it is Paul himself, speaks about that salvation. Starting at verse 1, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Let's say the truth. Let's say the gospel. If we use uh, Hebrews 6 armor language. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward... How shall we, that is New Testament believers, escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? That would be the apostles. It's a great salvation. So that's what the spiritual reality is in chapter 6 and verse 17, where it speaks of the helmet of salvation. Again, as I said, It's a great comprehensive theme. I don't need to say more about it right now. It fits in with the gospel. It fits in with righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. It fits in with, what was that other thing? The um, truth. Yes, the gospel, righteousness, and truth. The belt of truth, the other piece of armor we're considering. It's the helmet of salvation here. You say, "Well, you need to say a lot more about that. Give me a few weeks. We'll be back in Romans 5. I'll say a lot more about that great and glorious salvation through God's grace. But now what about the metaphor, the helmet? Why the helmet? It's possible that Paul used the helmet Because Isaiah spoke of the helmet of salvation. We won't turn to it and read it right now. I mean, you can do that. No one's going to stop you. It's in Isaiah 59, 17. He wrote about the helmet of salvation in the Old Testament. But I mentioned that sometimes the pieces of armor throughout the Word of God are listed to refer to different things. And Thessalonians, even Paul himself, speaks about the breastplate, not of righteousness, but the breastplate of faith and love. So maybe Paul just said the helmet of salvation because he had Isaiah 59, 17 in his mind. Perhaps he did it because he had in his view the significant place of the mind, the head, in the spiritual warfare. The Christian's mind needs protection. Remember Romans 12:2. The goal for us as Christians is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are not to be conformed to to the world. That's the danger. And if we're not going to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, let the truth come in and let that make us different people, then we have to have some protection from the darts or the arrows of the devil that come in the form of the devil's lies. And they're aimed at our minds, not just our hearts, but they're aimed at our brains. And so the place of the mind is very significant. Romans 12, 2, or John 17, in verse 17. Jesus prayed for God's people and He said, Prayed for his apostles on the night before he died. As he prayed for them, he said, Father, um, and now I'm forgetting what he said, sanctify, now I'm remembering, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Truth comes in through the mind. It's a battleground in the battle against the devil. Um, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, if you want to turn there tells us this, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. There's going to be a message when it comes to that subject of readiness, on watchfulness, being alert aware in other words use your head i preached a message on this passage some years ago and i mentioned that um, i liked the translation of the niv at this point but you instead it doesn't say be watchful it says keep your head in all situations in other words timothy as a preacher of the gospel you're not only in the normal christian spiritual warfare you are in the thick of the battle You receive the brunt of the fiery darts of the wicked one. So be watchful or keep your head in all situations. It's easy to get distracted and so on. You need to keep your head. It's important. Think of the language of Isaiah 26 and verse 3. It says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The mind is very important in the Christian life. Another passage, Philippians 4 7, the Apostle Paul's own words. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The helmet is important, the guarding of the mind. So, this is the basic way we use this armor. I don't see this anywhere in my notes. Maybe I'll come across it later. Maybe I put it in there somewhere. But um, just to speak of this, it makes me think of another of um, Bunyan's allegories. Um, Not the Pilgrim's Progress, but the Holy War. What was that a battle for? The battle for the soul of the man. Mansoul was the name of the town. But how were the enemy getting in? They were getting in by the eye gate. They were getting in by the ear gate. They get in through and to the mind. And so here we are in this battle. So that's our four pieces of armor there. We conclude with looking at the the helmet. What is the basic way that we use this armor? I mentioned it already. Temptations come fiery darts are shot at me, what do I do? Well, let's let's think of it in terms of these four pieces of armor. I start out with the belt of truth. What do I do when the fiery, lying darts of the wicked one come to me? Whether they're just suggestions to my mind that are actually somehow floated into it or planted there, however you look at it, of what, in terms of what the devil or demons can do, planted there by one of the spiritual powers of darkness, what do I do? Or, if Satan uses a human being to put that thought in my mind. It's not a serpent that says, has God said, but it's like Pastor Carlson said a few minutes ago, a friend, just a friend a nice person. He's not a Christian, but he's, he's not an evil person, you might think. The, the fiery dart comes in that, what do I do? Well, I start out, I speak God's truth to myself. I just heard a lie. I need to tell myself the truth. I speak God's truth about the situation because I know God's truth. It's tempting to think differently, but I know better. I speak God's truth about the situation. I speak God's truth about this very temptation. Yeah, that woman looks pleasant. But the Bible tells me she's everything but. And I've got to speak that truth and listen to my own speaking. Because as Jesus said... The truth will set me free. He will set me free from the devil's snares. The truth will do that. It has, because I'm a Christian, set me free already from sin and from death and from hell, and it will in the last day. It has set me free, as we sing around Christmas time, from Satan's tyranny. It has set me free, and it will set me free from his temptations and his accusations, and his suggestions of evil today. That's how I use the belt of truth, if you will. Or when those fiery darts are shot at me, I stand... Because I am already a victor in Jesus Christ. And I'm a victor because I have been given His righteousness. As Romans calls it, the very righteousness of God. It doesn't get any better than that. I have it. When we think about Christ's righteousness, that's important. My having His righteousness. When we think about justification, I could never be justified in the sight of God without Christ's righteousness. My own righteousness would never do it. It would never cut it. It's important to have Christ's righteousness in the judgment day. When you stand before the one whose eyes are burning like fire. You say, I don't think I can handle that. If you have Christ's righteousness, you can. You'll rejoice to anticipate it. And you will rejoice when you're there. And it's important to have the righteousness of Christ in the daily battle against the wicked one. And so you stand, saying this battle is difficult, but I have the breastplate of righteousness. I'm already a victor. And if I stand here with this breastplate... I'll end a victor. And then I say, as I think of those fiery darts coming to me, I say to myself, I am always ready because I have on my feet the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so I rehearse and I speak and I live in the light of these great gospel realities. That's how I put on the armor. That's how I use the armor. And I live, in terms of the helmet of salvation, in the light of the great work that Christ has already done for me on the cross. It is finished. It doesn't need to be done over again. Tonight we'll have a communion table here with bread and juice on it. The fruit of the vine, that will be the emblems of what Christ did on the cross, but it will not be a reenactment of what Christ did on the cross, because it's finished. It doesn't need to be repeated. And that's what forms the helmet that I have on my head as a child of God, the helmet of salvation. And so I live in the light of the great work that Christ has done on the cross for me and in light of the great work that Christ has done in my life through the work of His Holy Spirit. He, God has saved me in Jesus Christ. That's putting the helmet of salvation on. So you can see the point I made last week and reiterated today about the comprehensive nature of of these pieces of armor and about the overlap that there is between them and among them. We could say that, and this is how you should look at putting on this armor so far as we've gotten with these first four pieces, putting on the armor means fixing your mind on the truth. And when you fix your mind on the truth, that fortifies you, that sanctifies you. And we can say from a a truly Christian perspective, brethren, isn't it true that fixing your mind on any truth of the Word of God, any truth of the Word of God is fortifying and sanctifying? You look at the truth, you meditate on it, You turn it around and around in your mind. You turn it over and over in your mind. That's sanctifying. Think of Paul's words in Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatever, or the older language, whatsoever. Whatsoever things are good and true and noble and just and... Beautiful, and I can't even, I've I've memorized the verse at some point in my life. You do, though, you focus on any of those kinds of things, and they're good for you, they're healthy for you, they're fortifying, as I said, they're sanctifying. But, brethren, these great gospel truths that represent the entirety of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatness of our salvation that go right to the heart of the message of the Word of God. These great gospel truths are especially powerful and especially effective in this great spiritual battle that you and I are in. As we say, these four pieces of armor, though they're not guns, But we have that phrase, it's like bringing the big guns out. See what I'm saying? That's the idea here, using this armor in the way we're supposed to. So in summary, I could say about putting on and wearing these pieces of armor, these first four things that we're looking at, it means that you understand the basic gospel realities. You understand things like this, that God has saved us by His grace. I'll put it in uh, second person, and and it's a second person singular, whether you can tell or not. That God has saved you, Christian. It's understanding that you are His. You belong to Him. You understand the greatness of His salvation. It's not something to be trifled with. It's not something to be ignored. It's not something to be thought about just on Sundays. And that you understand that it's yours by God's grace, this salvation. Not only do you belong to God, His salvation belongs to you. The righteousness of Christ has been given to you. The hope of glory has been given to you. The resurrection, in a sense, has been given to you. In Romans eight twenty nine. It's spoken about in the past tense. Those he has justified, he is also what? Glorified. It's as good as done. You think about it that way. It's your salvation. And then you think about it this way. It's all of God. What does Paul call it? He calls it the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. It's God's armor you think about it this way when you meditate on those great gospel realities you're saying that you are christ's and christ is yours and that nothing can separate you from the love of god in jesus christ your lord that's putting on these pieces of armor that's what it is and you're understanding that we have all that we need for the fight. The word panoply means complete armor of God. So that's, I think that's my new title for my sermon, the complete armor, I can't remember right now, but it's divine armor. And it's like Goliath's sword. There is none like it. That's the armor of God, especially these first four pieces. You understand that, and you realize that these pieces of impenetrable armor belong to you. And why do they belong to you? Because you're such a great person? No. A little laugh, because that's ridiculous to think that way do they belong to you because you were in the right place at the right time because you were just a bit sharper than most other people who are on the broad road that leads to hell and though they may have heard the gospel they never believed it is that why you're a christian and you have this armor no here's why because you have been chosen by god before the foundation of the earth Because you have been bought by the blood of God's own Son. And because you have been made alive by the work of God's Spirit. That's why you have this armor. That's why you will never fall to the devil. And because you have made Christ your own through faith. From the human side, because you have decided to follow Jesus... No turning back. And because you, as a child of God, have sold everything and purchased the pearl of great price. And then understanding that, that that's your situation every day. This is putting on the armor. You live in the light of those great realities. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been delivered from sin. The condemning power of it, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then the moral power of it, I think of it in terms of Psalm 107. He has broken the gates of bronze that my sin held me behind. And he has cut the bars of iron, the shackles of sin in my life, in two. I've been delivered from death. The physical death that I die as a Christian someday, probably, but maybe not, will have no sting for me. I was at the deathbed of a saint yesterday who could not speak. And I wasn't thinking simply how terrible, because death is terrible. It's the wages of sin. But I was thinking, soon there will be deliverance for our dear sister. The physical death that I die will have no sting for me as a Christian. And eternal death will never touch me. That's the death that hurts. I've been delivered from the devil. This is putting these pieces of armor on. I have been delivered from his power and delivered from his accusations. They're fierce accusations. They cause wounds. But the bottom line is, they won't hurt me, ultimately. And I can withstand them by God's grace through this armor. I've been delivered from myself as a Christian, probably my worst enemy. That's how I see it. I've been delivered from the world. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, Paul wrote in Galatians 1-4, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That's how we think if we're putting the armor on. I've been delivered from fear. The righteous are bold as a lion. I think that way. Because the root of every unhealthy fear that there is in this world is the fact that a judgment day is coming. And it says in Hebrews 2.14 that in light of that judgment day coming, the devil keeps people in bondage to the fear of death. And what's so bad about death? Well, if you're a believer, nothing. But if you're an unbeliever, it leads to the judgment. And if you're an unbeliever, it will not go well for you in the judgment. You need to flee to Jesus Christ. So you will have this armor against the fear, unhealthy fear of death. You're freed from the wrath of God. We had it in Romans 5, 9. You're freed from hell. This is how you should be thinking. As a Christian, that's putting this armor on. All of that is putting on in using the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, and the helmet. Does it strike you that if you will do that more and more, in other words, think and speak to yourself the way I have just been speaking, Does it strike you? If you do that more and more, you will be more joyful, more consistently, at every level in your life. That's one of the things that has struck me as I have been reading this over. I need to do this more. It made me think this week, as I was meditating on this, of the reality, I think at least a lot of us understand this, a reality regarding new converts. It's just general, it's not absolutely true. But it seems that as a mercy and a kindness and an expression of his gentleness that we heard about recently in Galatians 5, That God sort of protects new believers in a way that he doesn't protect all believers throughout every course of their life. And what I mean about some people um, put it this way, that he seems to put a hedge around them. And he gives them a period of freedom from trouble. A period of just, it seems, unmixed joy that characterizes New Christian life. It's a joy to behold it. And it's, it's wonderful to see that person and you think, Lord, let it extend that period as long as you might because they don't know what's going to come. They don't know what the spiritual battle that they might someday face is going to uh, encompass and involve. And I think God does that as a general rule to preserve the tender shoots of his new, young, spiritual plants. So I was thinking about that. And then I thought back to my own early Christian life, and now I'm going back something like between 40 and 50 years, but I think of one time when I, I think it was somewhere between 19 and 20 years old, and I was working for the U.S. Post Office, I had a summer job, I was carrying mail, and I was a relatively new believer. I was starting to learn more and more about the truth of the gospel and the Bible as I read his word and meditated on it and heard it preached and so on. And I can remember, plain as day, I, can, I think I might even be able, if I could go back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, get to the street that I was walking down, and maybe even some of the yards I was walking across, and I remember just thinking about this. And this truth fits in with these four great truths here. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I didn't know a lot of other theology at that time. But that was enough to make me happy all the time till the Lord opened up the hedge for me a little bit and let me step out. And I thought, maybe it's not just that God in his sovereignty is kind to young believers. He is. But maybe it's also, this is another factor, that new believers are more easily and readily drawn to the basic gospel realities that they have come to learn. And they're not like me all too often Concerned about what Greek word is that? Behind my English translation I'm reading. Or what is the way I should press especially understand that Greek? And what about that controversy I just heard about from that other pastor the other day that maybe some of my people are going to get involved in? And my mind is not going to the gospel and righteousness and truth. And salvation all the time. Maybe that's it. And maybe that's part of the picture that young believers are less easily distracted from the main things. That we should all always be thinking about as much as we can. And I said to myself as I was meditating... That this is what I have to do. I have to go back to those great truths constantly. I have to think of the helmet and the belt and the breastplate and the shoes. And I have to understand those great truths. I have to embrace them afresh. I have to hold fast to them, hold on to them, persevere in them. And I need to constantly meditate on them like I've been saying here. And then a final thing to note about these four pieces of armor before I conclude. They underscore and they perfectly fit with the reality that salvation is of the Lord. I think it's Jonah 2 9. Salvation is of the Lord, it's not of him and you, it's of him. It's given to you as a free gift. The Christian's perspective is not when he puts these pieces of armor on. And as I said, I think these are the big pieces that we should think about, and these. Elements, the gospel, salvation, righteousness, and truth are the great things. Why? Because they're all of God. So the Christian's perspective, even as he stands there with those pieces of armor on, even as he meditates on these great realities of the gospel and of salvation, his perspective is not, I've got this. As in, I'm all that. It's not his perspective. No, his perspective is this, I've got this. In this sense, that God has my back and my front because I belong to Him. It's His war. It's His battle. I'm His child. I'm His servant. I'm His soldier. As it says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And remember, it's the armor of God you're wearing it, yes, it's protecting you, but it's the armor of God. I, for my part, am weak, I'm pitiful, I'm poor. To put it in the language of um, Revelation 2, I'm, I'm poor and blind and naked in myself. But I don't fight in my name. And I don't fight in my strength. I fight in His I won't read the passage, but it's 1 Samuel 17, verses 43 to 47, because my time is over. But that's where David went out to the battlefield against Goliath, and what did he say? I don't come to you in my name, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David had a strong sense and a true sense of who he was and whose he was. He was God's. And this is what I say as a Christian. I have God's armor, and that means it's strong enough for the fight. That means it won't wear out. And that means that therefore, because God has given me that armor, I will conquer in the end. I read this passage last week, 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Brethren, that is why I will triumph in this fight. He is the reason, not I. He is the reason I will not fall to the devil's schemes. He's given me what I need. I just need to take it up and use it. May God help us all to do that by His grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these great gospel realities and this great gospel armor. Help us to take it up humbly, but to strap it on with expectation and vigor and zeal and stand. And because of your grace, we know that we will in the end, having done all, stand. Because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.